Hey everybody, welcome back to No More Silos, a cultural Christianity podcast with me, Erica Santiago. Welcome back everybody. I am so glad that you have decided to join us today. Today's episode is about biblical womanhood. It's something that I've been working on looking into for quite some time. A couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, I did a whole Bible study on the women who followed Jesus, women in the New Testament. Uh, And the reason I did that Bible study at the time was because most of the books that I was aware of that talked specifically about women in the Bible had titles like Bad Girls in the Bible or they were very focused on domesticity and being a good wife or mother. And I'm sitting there thinking, but what do we talk to single people about? What do we talk to people who um, just want to know, you know, who are the models in the Bible that I can look up to as far as character studies? I did this whole study on on women in the New Testament, and honestly, a lot of them go unnamed, but there were more than enough who are named. And really, we have to thank our Catholic brothers and sisters because uh, because of Saints' Days and the celebration of Saints' Days, the history of a lot of these women would have been lost to us as Protestants because we don't have Saints' Days in Protestantism. Uh, we don't celebrate Saints' Days. And so I think that that was really a big part of that Bible study, not only having the resources about people who uh, achieved sainthood in the Catholic Church or their, their history was written down, but also just the, the folks who were uh, written about in the New Testament. And so that kind of was the beginning or genesis for me as far as looking at information. And at that time, I came across a blog by Rachel Held Evans, and I'll quote from that, read a quote from that blog in a few minutes, but there's just so much that is out there that is not good theology that's toxic. And I was just commenting on a friend's page on uh, social media. She was asking, had I seen, or actually just asking anybody who follows her, uh, had we seen or not seen, listened to the podcast about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And I thought that was interesting. Um, I haven't listened to it yet. I've been meaning to, but I've also been trying to get my homework done for uh, my own podcast (laughs) to get uh, things together for episodes. So anyway, so it's interesting because everyone or historians are starting to really take a look at the history. And that's really what we're talking about today. It's something that I think has been brewing for years, but I think we're in the beginning stages, even still, even though it's been, this has been going on for several years now, um, the beginning stages of a reckoning or a reformation of the church in America, the Christian church in America. And I think what's happening crosses party lines, cultural spheres of influence, denominations, ethnicity, race. It's a historical review and understanding in order to plot a new way forward that encompasses in spirit and in truth, better than what the last few generations have made room for in our Christian context. I don't think it's a black thing or a white thing, although right now we're hearing it from the uh, white evangelical context a little bit more um, because those are the books that that are uh, hitting the 
Christian media, uh, the podcasts that are hitting the Christian media, but it affects everybody. Um, It's not a black thing or a white thing. In fact, I've been talking with friends in the last few weeks about this topic, just kind of getting a feel for some of the, the, the thoughts that are out there about it. And in the black church context, in the 90s and early 2000s, we, I don't know if we were looking at the same things, if we were reading the same things, if we were looking at this, listening to the same preachers. I don't, I don't really know. Um, I haven't been able to quite put my finger on that yet, but I do know there are uh, black theologians out there who are doing the work right now, the scholarly research. And so what I, I think what's happening, it's, it crosses not only race or ethnicity, um, It's not a black thing or a white thing. It affects both men and women, males and females. It affects our ability as disciple makers for Jesus to be transformative change makers in our churches, community, and in our homes. And in the secular world, it's the argument about critical race theory. Uh, It's the argument against the 1619 project in favor of the 1776 project. It's that whole, we don't want to make changes to our identity because it's what we know. And if you tell us that what we know is wrong, we're going to revolt on you. Um, It's in, in totally trash you. And really, I think what we're seeing here, and this is a big part of why No More Silos exists, is that it's all of these things and it's also about Jesus. And because it's about Jesus, we cannot ignore it. And I think it's something worth exploring. So in today's episode, I don't have all the answers, um, but I do want to share with you some of the resources because last week in our conversation about biblical translation and cultural Christianity, I talked about Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and how he models deconstructing our faith so we can build back better. Well, today we're talking about a few resources that if you're responsible for discipling or mentoring women in particular, um, but also men, uh, you'll want to check these out for a balanced approach. And so the first book is the book that we talked about last week, um, Beth Allison Barr's The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. And I just want to share with you what it says, uh, a little bit of what it says on the back of the book. It says, it's time for Christian patriarchy to end. Historian Beth Allison Barr shows that biblical womanhood isn't biblical, but arose from a series of clearly definable historical moments. She presents a better way forward for the contemporary church. And so we talked about chapter five last week and how that's important to Bible translation because based on Dr. Barr's research, women were written out of the English translation of the Bible with the ubiquitous universal male um, gendering, and the pronouns just aren't there in Greek uh, to substantiate the number of times women are uh, taken out of the context of what's going on in the Bible. And this is important to discipleship because how we teach, how we mentor young women or women who are new to the faith, new to following Jesus, matters. How we interpret the Bible uh, for them or show them the Bible or teach them the Bible, that filter matters. And seeing with the wrong filter or worldview can cause us to miss what Jesus is saying to us. There's an NPR article uh, where Dr. Barr uh, was interviewed about her book, and she talks about the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. And I'll put a link to the article in the show notes. But 
the interesting thing is, is around the time that I read that article, I had also listened to a sermon by uh, Dr. Howard John Wesley, and he was talking about the Canaanite woman. And then later... Dr. Darius Daniels was talking about the Canaanite woman. And there are people, I want to encourage you today, this is not all death, doom, and destruction. Patriarchy is is starting to fall. We have male preachers out there teaching the correct uh, interpretation or the word of God as it is. And that is so encouraging because the when we see the Canaanite woman's story in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel, through the filter of patriarchy, we think Jesus is the bad guy because we're trying to, we look at it as one of those difficult passages that's difficult to teach because it sounds like Jesus has called this woman out, you know, on the street, when actually he compliments her in the end of this conversation. And so if you take away the patriarchal filter, Um, And then also look at an atlas, a Bible atlas, at a map of where this woman was, where this story takes place. That matters too. And so I think all of that is something that is, we're starting to see come undone. We're unlearning those bad habits of reading and teaching scripture from the patriarchal point of view. Another resource that I want to recommend, I'm only about halfway through reading it, but I've listened to a few interviews and uh, with Kristen Dumay. Uh, Dr. Dumay has a book called Jesus and John Wayne, and it came out last, uh, not last, yeah, last year around this time, I think. And I didn't hear about it until I had heard about the making of biblical womanhood. So Jesus and John Wayne, the subtitle in that one is, uh, is quite a catcher. How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. And what's interesting about it is it is a 75-year history, Um, but it is such a great read. If you're not interested in reading history books because they're too dull and boring, this one and, and The Making of Biblical Womanhood, I think I read that in three days, I couldn't put it down. Jesus and John Wayne has become so popular. People have been talking about it. Um, There's a bunch of interviews with the author out there. I'll put a link to the book in the show notes. But it says here, it's a 75-year history of white evangelicalism, arguing that the forces that that christened our most recent president, um, before the one that we have now, an evangelical hero, will continue to shape the nation. And it's interesting because it gives that history. And I've recommended documentaries on Netflix. There's one called The Family um, that tells that some of that story is in here. Um, Definitely some of the things that, that Beth Allison Barr talks about in her book, and even what Jamar Tisby talks about in his book, The Color of Compromise. Um, it's This history is being corroborated from the 1619 Project to Ibram X. Kendi's work to, uh, to Kristen Dumay, to this uh, and Jamar Tisby, this history is being corroborated. It's there, and it's it's causing folks to lose it. I mean, literally lose their marbles because the their way of discipling Christians to a Christian nationalism perspective on the gospel has created untold problems. And so, from a discipleship standpoint. If you are discipling women in today's context, in the 21st century, whether you agree or disagree, historical fact is fact. But 
understanding the context of what got us here and how some of these ideas were formed, I think is super important. I want to share um, a quote from Rachel Held Evans' uh, blog about complementarianism because it's one of those things that I found to be super interesting in this, this context. Now, this blog post, I think, is from 2012. Um, yeah, I think it's from 2012. And it's talking about the difference or four, four common misconceptions about egalitarianism. Now, in the American church, we have folks that believe that men and, men and women are equal, um, and we're both equal uh, in the sight of God. And then there's folks who believe that men and women are equal, but different. And it's those differences that run a spectrum of what is known as complementarianism. And depending upon how you look at things or how you've been brought up in, in the church uh, will determine how, how you feel about those terms. Some people consider egalitarianism a bad word, others not so much. So let me read to you what this says. It says, or she said, being egalitarian doesn't mean being against traditional gender roles. Uh, being egalitarian doesn't mean being against traditional gender roles. It means being for the many roles through which women can bring glory to God and love their love to their neighbors. Simply put, the difference between my views and those of most complementarians is that I don't believe God requires women to assume traditional gender roles in order to please him. And she says, I put traditional in quotes because our conception of what constitutes traditional is typically influenced more by our Western relatively privileged culture than that of the ancient Near Eastern world in which the Bible was written. Furthermore, as an egalitarian, I don't believe that the household chores must be assigned based on gender. One of my concerns about some expressions of complementarianism is this idea that male leadership somehow precludes washing the washing of dishes, folding of laundry, changing of diapers, etc., so that such work is the exclusive responsibility of women. This notion is completely contrary to the teachings and example of Jesus and is found nowhere in Scripture, not even as it is often assumed Proverbs 31. And she says, I'll be writing more about that on Thursday. So if you check out rachelheldevans.com and her blog, you can find that uh, post on Proverbs 31. Furthermore, she says, as an egalitarian, I am troubled by the common teaching from the church that motherhood is a woman's highest calling. A woman's highest calling is to follow Jesus Christ. End of story. And she can do that if she is married, single, divorced, widowed, a mother, or childless. And I suspect that there would be quite a few complementarians who would agree with me on that. End of quote. So here's the thing. Again, this was back in 2012. This is an idea of, that has been questioned for decades, but it's starting to all come to a head as the history is out there between critical race theory, the 1619 Project, Jesus and John Wayne, the uh, color of compromise, the making of biblical womanhood. People are asking questions about what it is that we believe the Bible to say. Um, an, an example uh, from the Junia Project uh, in an article there on submission talks about how in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, um, they go into a deeper study of the passage 
uh, looking at the Greek language, remember we were talking about translation last week, right? Love in verse 19 is actually the word agape. And there were many different words for love in Greek. Um, and so th- some of them are for friendship and others for sexual passion and others for love, of se- love of self. And there is one love that stands above all the rest, and that is agape. Agape is sacrificial love, one that puts others first. Agape love is the kind willing to lay down one's life for, one, uh, for the one it loves. It's the same word used in the Bible's most popular verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's four words in Greek for love. There are two in Spanish, at least two in Spanish. One of them translates to want or to like. Love is a word that many do not understand, but the Greeks apparently did. And they had more words for love uh, so that they could be very clear in their writing. Now, why is that important in discipleship? Because if I am looking at what a verse means and I see the word love, then it's important to go ahead and investigate which love is being referenced. Another great resource uh, for women's studies in the Bible is Marg Moskow. She's a theologian out of New Zealand uh, that I came across. And, And here's the thing. While I'm noticing that a lot of these authors fall into the category of people of European descent, uh, white women, it's not just white women. You've got to check out Twitter. There's a bunch, a bunch of black women theologians on Twitter that I follow. One of my favorites is Akemeni from Truth's Table. Um, And uh, Kev on stage recently interviewed, well, not recently, last year, but I just recently came across the the video. Uh, It was recommended by a friend where he interviewed Candace Benbow from last year, where she discussed the controversial topic of God, sexuality, black women, and the church. And she shut down that whole idea that uh, soul ties as an unbiblical, unscriptural scam. Go ahead, look it up. There's no actual scriptural foundation for that teaching. And that's interesting because in, in in the black church context, oh, we are all about the soul ties. Oh yeah, I you know I can't get over so and so because you know there's soul ties or don't do that because there's soul ties. But that's actually not biblical. And I'm that person, and you guys know this already about me. I'm that person that I don't just take what I read in the Junior Project or on Marg's website or Rachel Held Evans or what I read in Beth Allison Barr's book or Kristen Dumay's book or whoever's book I happen to be reading this week. I don't just take what I see at face value. I go and look it up. And that is why I'm sharing these resources with you guys. Because even if you don't agree with everything they say, and again, you know, we still have denominational differences, doctrinal differences, all that stuff. But the common thread among them and all of these resources that I've just shared is research. Scholarly research. Research that's backed up with the Greek and the Hebrew. Research that's backed up with the history. I'm not talking about YouTube conspiracy theories with no real backup to their claims. Um, It's important that we look at the resources that we're looking at, whatever it is we're reading. I'm currently reading a book now that is ripping apart just about every marriage book, Christian marriage book on the planet, but 
I'm not ready to discuss that yet, and I don't know if I'll discuss it on the podcast. I might save it just for our women's discipleship group at church. But towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' sermon, or what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I don't think Jesus said, and today I'm going to be sitting on the side of this hill, and I'm going to preach from the text of Sermon on the Mount. No. Jesus, uh, in, in recorded in Matthew's Gospel, uh, what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is talking. And he, when he gets to chapter 7, which is towards the end, he talks about the gold, what we call the golden rule. In verse 12, chapter 7, verse 12 of Matthew's Gospel, what we call the golden rule about treating others the way we want to be treated. But what's interesting is if you keep reading just a few more verses to verse 15, he starts talking about a tree and its fruit. And so if you're mentoring a woman and she's giving you pushback on the church or Christianity because of patriarchy or sexism, etc., she is asking about the fruit of those teachings. The fruit of those teachings, because what's not what, what, what non-believers are witnessing, what they're seeing, what we're showing them, uh, is something that they're not interested in signing up for. People are fascinated by the, the podcast right now uh, outlining what the historical happening or what happened with Mars Hill, but that is a microcosm of dysfunction and toxicity, patriarchy and, and sexism and misogyny, um, and then broader context to systemic racism, uh, structures that are put in place that are at the end of the day inconsistent with Jesus's teaching and actual scripture. Another good resource for you in learning about the history is a book by Dr. Anthea Butler, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. You see, we are not just hearing this history from white female theologians or historians, but we are hearing this history from people of color as well. And so while folks can be upset with the 1619 Project and want to promote the 1776 Project, we have to understand there is a larger historical context at work here. And if you're discipling people, it's important that you be prepared to address those questions, that you're prepared to not blow off their questions about historical fact. Or if they saw something on YouTube that might be straight wackiness, but be prepared to point them to resources where they can learn more of the story and then come back and have a conversation. That's what discipleship is about. That's what mentorship is about. That's what growing is about. But because cultural Christianity in a whole host of in a whole host of contexts, uh, we are and have been getting bad theology. And now is the time. Actually, yesterday was the time, but now is the time. If this is new information for you, to take a look at what the historians and the theologians, the scholars are saying today. Do your homework. You don't have to agree with all of it. You may be all-out Methodist. You may be all-out Presbyterian or Baptist or whatever. Um, But at the end of the day, 
God is still God. Scripture is still the inspired, true word of God. And so while you may not agree with everyone's interpretation, do your homework. Don't just take someone who has uh, who has not really done their homework and their beliefs as the gospel. There's, and as I mentioned, there are male pastors out there who are teaching correct theology. It's not just uh, teaching te- correct theology and telling the truth about women in the Bible. It's it's not just women preachers uh, because in a lot of what I'm learning and reading Jesus and John Wayne, there were plenty of women who subscribed to this uh, white male patriarchy context and wrote books on it and taught classes on it, on how to please your husband and other interesting things back in the 70s. Again, you don't have to agree with everybody, but do your homework. Find out the truth. We must learn to tell the difference between cultural Christianity and actual scripture, actual word of God, or it, it just makes discipleship that much harder. It really does. So join me next time. And uh, we'll be actually talking about discipleship and cultural Christianity, uh, spiritual maturity, some of the things that reflect that spiritual maturity uh, as we're communicating with folks. Because when we start talking about uh, how white evangelicals corrupted a faith and fractured the nation or the color of compromise and how the, uh, the making of biblical womanhood and how the subjugation of women became, women became gospel truth and all these things, as we're tearing down those silos of information and kind of bringing that history in context together again, there's a degree of spiritual maturity that we have to have in ourselves in order to share the truth in love. Not beat people up, not trash them on social media, but share the truth in love and in proper context so that when we are making disciples, we're doing it in a way that makes sense. In, in, in a way that follows scripture and in a way that isn't done in spirit and in truth and honors Jesus. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with me today, this afternoon, as well as afternoon in my time. Uh, I guess I probably should go get my kids soon. Um, thank you for joining me on No More Silos. This is a podcast about cultural Christianity. We're asking the tough questions and we're looking for the answers together. Shoot me an email at podcast at ericasantiago.com or follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Cultural Christianity uh, to engage me in conversation or ask questions about things that I've talked about or to tell me I'm wrong. That's okay too. (laughs) I don't always think that I'm right. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you've been listening and thank you again for joining me today. Have a great rest of your day.